On this podcast, we go one step beyond publications and guidelines to speak directly with leading experts in interventional pulmonology. This podcast will address not only fundamental topics and exciting publications, but also unconventional topics for which the evidence base isn't that robust. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speaker and not necessarily endorsed by the AABIP. This is your host, Dodit Chadda, an assistant professor at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. And with that, let's dive into the next episode. Our topic for discussion today is robot versus robot. First, a disclaimer. This episode will not be addressing questions that necessarily have a high-quality evidence base, but we will be quoting the highest available evidence that there is for these questions, expert opinion. And I could think of no better expert to invite for this discussion than Dr. Kyle Hogarth. Dr. Hogarth is a professor of medicine and the director of bronchoscopy at the University of Chicago. He is also the former president of the SAB. Most importantly for me, he continues to be a great mentor. He is one of few physicians in the country to have experience with both the Oris and the intuitive robot. Thank you, Dr. Hogarth, for joining me on the podcast today. Really, thanks for having me. Perfect. Do you have any conflicts of interest to disclose? Oh, absolutely. So let me let me at least pertaining to this discussion. I have several conflicts of interest in general, but pertaining to this discussion, uh, we should make it very clear. Um, so one, I have been a consultant uh, for Oris, who has now, of course, been uh, acquired by Johnson & Johnson. I've uh, been in a consultant for several years and received consulting fees in regards to uh, the services I provided, and 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 with those fees also was granted stock options, which then of course got exercised once the purchase of Oris was uh, went through with J and J, and so um, I have owned stock and and still an active consultant. So there's the, there's that bias. Um, I have done an animal lab with Intuitive. Um, and so received a consulting fee for that animal lab. It was a one-time uh, deal. I'm not an active consultant for them. Um, and so when we when, at the beginning too, when we we're talking about uh, you know uses of the technologies, obviously I have a, a vast experience on humans um, using the Monarch system. Have only used the Ion system in animals, so not yet in humans. So let's first discuss navigational capabilities. The oroscope is comprised of an outer 6mm sheet and an inner 4.2mm scope. Usually, once at a segment of bronchus, the sheet is locked into position and the scope is advanced into smaller peripheral airways. The system uses electromagnetic field generators and reference uh, or reference centers. Biopsy tools are advanced through the 2.1mm working channel. I have robot has an outer diameter of 3.5 millimeters and a 2 millimeter working channel, and ION does not rely on EMM, but its fiber optic shape sensing technology uh, provides the cavity's location and shape information throughout the procedure. So, Dr. Hogarth, there are cases uh, with the Oris robot, you know, where we cannot reach generation 7, 8, 9. Do you think that the smaller size of the ION scope will allow further navigation? Or is the stability provided by the outer sheet of the Oris more important than the scope size? Um, it's a hard question to answer. Of course, we we have you know limited data. Um, there has been obviously a published study on. Um, the monarch's ability to reach out further um, than a standard bronchoscope, obviously not in comparison to the other robot. Um, I can tell you, you know, my own personal experience, um, we've been able to get out much further than, than the, the statement you just made there in regards to the stuck at six or 
generation airway. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, can get out, uh, and and my our own, my own experience, and I and I don't want to speak for other um, large users within the U.S., but they, you know through personal conversations with them. Um, we've been able to typically get out within about one to two um, centimeters of the pleura, um, and because that's the lesion we're going after. And, and of course, remember, I don't need to drive the scope to right in front of the lesion. Get me within one to two centimeters of it, and then, um, and especially depending on the size of the lesion, we'll pass instrumentation out that last remaining, you know, uh, short distance to the lesion. Because obviously, the instrumentation has the ability to go out further. Um, you know, I, I it's been a rare exception where the size of the scope um, has mattered um, in the clinical use that I have again with the monarch and and when I, and I say that because of course the the scope outer diameter and even in the ion is is typically larger than the airways you and I are going through, but you know the airways obviously uh, have some ability to stretch and to give um and so um you know, I will tell you indirectly, it's the it's the fact that we're going out into these smaller airways is why we're my my opinion about why we're seeing so little bleeding with biopsies, um, and it, partly because we think we're essentially you know cutting off temporarily, of course, uh, blood flow, much like you see blanching when you do a lavage, uh, you know, the pressure of the saline going in. Um, we think we're seeing kind of the equivalent of distal blanching, if you will, uh, from the scope, um, essentially. Compressing the airways distally. Interesting. Now, so you know, the the one week one other caveat to what you were describing as far as the the navigation. Yes, the 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 core of the Monarch system is is EMN based, um, but it's not a uh, static central registration uh, off of the tree. It is a, a on kind of ongoing re-registration at each branch point, mm-hmm. uh, carina, and that's that's where the field generator comes in. But it also does use um, image recognition uh, in the sense of the virtual bronch tying into what is being seen in the uh, actual airway. So it's a kind of a combination of the two, if you will. Um, we talked about the ions shape sensing system. It is a, a, definitely a very uh, cool piece of technology. Um, the you know you, there's I think online some impressive videos of how it works and and um, you know again if you've played with the you know played it with it on a mannequin or in an animal model you you can definitely see um, the the ability and it and it obviously then does not involve any electromagnetics. Um, the the only I suppose uh, concern uh, that I've had with the shape sensing is that um, if there's significant movement of the patient, um, then the registration you've done because of the position of the coil in relationship to itself is disrupted. Now it has obviously some amount of a, of a few second lag. So if your patient just moves barely, you don't have things undone. But if your patient does move significantly, um, uh, you will have to re-register. Now I don't know how often that comes up clinically. My discussion with people that are doing the ongoing clinical trial with them as it's been a non-issue, but they also have everyone obviously deeply under general anesthesia with, with paralytics so that you know there is no movement possible. Um, and, and again, you know, whether you want to use paralytics or not, or whether that's part of your routine in bronchoscopy or not, um, you know, uh, the, that's, I think, a you know, for the individual to this, to decide. Um, I don't know, and, and people obviously from Intuitive would be able to tell you what's the lag time of movement, you know, before the system defaults and you have to re-register. Um, um, but, but the, you know, it's still, it's, I mean, it's, it's really cool technology, no debate. Um, the, the small,
smaller outer diameter of of the scope um their scope um i've I've not seen clinical evidence or anything published, but also even talking to users that there's been any limitation to get out further so that the the kind of the notion that it needed to be smaller to get out further has not really borne out in clinical use um the 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 double scope system, if you will, the outer sheath, the inner scope, um, that's definitely, in, in my opinion, led to some nice stability uh, uh, components when you take care of biopsy. So the, the advantage that at least comes from that, from, from my perspective, is that we can engage, obviously, the... Um, the, the sheath into whatever you know uh, lobe and sub segment and even sub segment that we're wanting in, and then that gets locked, and then now you're driving the scope, and quite frequently now the, the scope portion of it, um, you know, is, is angled and articulated the direction you want to go, and which allows you to then have. Um, all the force that you're trying to apply when it comes to biopsying being stabilized by the fact that the outer sheath is holding in place. Mm-hmm. Um, the you know, and I don't know if you're going to ask this, but I'll just keep rambling on and launch into it. Probably the the, the main the main difference that's just obvious. Um, we can um, I will give you my biased opinion again, coming from being a user, and then obviously with my conflict of interest uh, as part of this um, is the optics, right? So with with the Monarch system, the optics uh, remain in place. Uh, and, and are on the entire time. Um, yeah. With with the ion system, when you you know you have optics the entire time you're driving and, and using the shape sensing and also your eyes to to move the scope where you want to go. But when it is time to do biopsies, because there's the the single port, you then take the optics out to then slide through, um, you know your whatever instrument you want to place through. Yes. Now, you know, based off of, obviously off the shape sensing and the knowledge of where the lesion is, and and knowing that the things aren't moving because you've locked the robot, um, you know, the argument to be made, of course, is that the instrumentation is going to go right where you tell it to go, and because you mm-hmm. are biopsying the virtual lesion, um, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and and again, if you look at the published, uh, recently published paper with the ion system, at least one of the initial. Um, the, the initial experiences out of Australia, you know, it's it's quite excellent. Um, and so there, there's a, an argument to be made based off the literature that um, uh, you know maybe that the optics when you biopsy don't really matter. Um, that you know the virtual representation is good enough. And and you know again, I think the literature will bear out whether that is indeed true or not. Um, you know, in the, in the truest sense, you know, when the, when all the ORA studies come out uh, versus obviously it never be a direct comparison. But if there if there's similar outcomes, that would make at least one argument. But I'll, I'll tell you from my own personal experience, um, probably uh, maybe about 70% of the time, up to 80, the optics being in place hasn't definitively mattered. You're going after a lesion, it's you know pretty airway-centric, and, and you drive out however far, and, and, and away you go, and that's fine. But, but the remaining times, not being able to see my instrument has been uh, a key component. And I'll give you a perfect example. Um, case we just did last week, the airway, it was a small lesion. Uh, it was just at a centimeter in size. It was slightly eccentric, and it was off of a small branch um, that visually um, we actually almost missed because it was partially compressed externally to look kind of half-missed it, if you will. And anything that we were sliding down the scopes, so we actually did this to sort of prove it to ourselves as we backed the, the robot up ever so slightly and just kept passing instruments out and showing that not a single one of them was engaging the airway that, that we wanted to have it 
be engaged. Mm-hmm. And and it was and because of the takeoff that it came at, getting the robot to angulate enough to get directly visually see down the the airway hole was was doable but challenging. And and so we didn't bother. All we did, of course, because we could see the entire time, is pass the instrument out, articulate down. That allowed us to then slide the instrument out. You could feel it grip slide or articulate the robot up, see that your instrumentation was, you know, going down the correct hole, uh, air, you know, airway, obviously. Um, and that's what then, and the first we did that with, was with, with uh, just to, again, keep proving it just kind of for ourselves, um, even though we knew, but we liked, we liked pictures. Um, and so we, we slid the radio probe down. We didn't need it, but there it was. Um, and, um, but only if you made sure that you articulated the robot to pass the instruments down to this odd angled airway. So I, I you know, I, I obviously I didn't like put the ion robot in and then try it that way, but I am struck by that that case was universally uh, successful because of optics and only because of optics to be able to see um, and be able to pass instrumentation, you know, biopsy after biopsy, because then, you know, as we would, uh, take the, the the forceps out and then try to pass again because we would we had re you know steered our vision to be able to see that we were going down the correct hole. The the biopsy instruments would pass down the wrong airway. Which by the way, interestingly on fluoro, um, uh, which we did fluoro as well. Again, I don't know if we needed it. Probably didn't. But it was we're trying to kind of add multiple elements of visualization to, for our own uh, sort of internal assessment of, of you know, what other, what other modalities can continue to add to success. Um, we, you know, under Floro, if you looked closely, it was obvious that you were going down the wrong airway, but it was subtle. And so I think that's the other key component is that, again, without visualization, you would have passed the instrument down mentally going, oh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the same spot. Or maybe it's ever so slightly different. The patient moved, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you would have, you could in theory see a situation where someone might have talked themselves into, I'm biopsying the same spot, when they clearly were not. Um, uh, because the, the two fluoroscopic images, with a keen eye, were, were obviously different. You know, you should know you're in the wrong airway. But, um, you know, I don't want to speak for all users, but, um, you know, sometimes people are moving fast. Sometimes people aren't paying that much of a close of attention, et cetera. And, and, but you can clearly see with your eyes, you were in the wrong airway. So I think the optics myself, you know, it, it, it matters. It, it, and if nothing else, some of it has just been visually stunning to see what you can see in the periphery. And, you know, you were, you were there for a lot of our first cases. I think one of the things that I was really struck by, and, and if, if our listeners reflect, we know that with a bronchus sign and a concentric ebus sign, right? So, I mean, we all agree you're in the right airway and, gosh, you're in the middle of this thing. How come the yield is not 100% for all of us? No matter what technology. I don't care what technology you're using to get there. Um, you know, why is it? Why, why is it? I mean, we all agree that eccentrics are a different beast, but, but you'd think concentrics, like the tumor must be invading the airway. Like, how are you not physically, literally running into it? One of the things that I've definitely seen with the Monarch, and I know others have as well, is just how rarely the tumor is actually invading the peripheral airway. It's definitely wrapping around it. It's definitely, you know, encompassing it. You get a concentric, you know, rebus view when you slide it out. But visually, right in front of you, you don't see frequently an obvious like ah this is where the tumor is yeah. um and so i'm i'm right you, you were in those cases with me as well it's striking 
that I think one of the things that we obviously, why do we miss concentric lesions, again, with you know all technologies, et cetera, doesn't matter which, is because it's not actually invading the airway. And if you can't see that your instrument has, you've articulated enough that your instrument has penetrated the wall and literally gone through, that's how you end up having a non-diagnostic uh, bronch in this, is this situation, at least in my opinion. Um, uh, so that's on the beauty the same, of visualization. On the same lines, could you tell us about some of your cases where you've used directional targeting of your instruments based on your point of contact with the airway wall where you had an eccentric fatally bus field and then it turned into concentric? Right, so so um, we were going after a one centimeter GGO. Um, the person was not a candidate for any more resections. They'd already had several resections, but the um, for the uh, both the from wanting to have definitive certainty, but before radiation was done, or even the possibility of uh, systemic TKIs, because there's a question of multiple GGOs. Again, you know, we have to individualize the care. We needed a biopsy, even though. Pretty assuredly, we all, including the patient, you know, knew that this thing was going to be a, uh, another adenocarcinoma, um, you know, just clinically. But but we needed proof for kind of multiple different medical and or uh, research reasons. So you know, regardless, whatever, let's go get some tissue. Um, but it was eccentric, and obviously GGO, and in an area that had uh, had um, a prior surgery. So you know, there's a lot of distortion of anatomy and airway and so forth. And um, this was, again, where visualization made a huge difference because we, we, we got to the lesion. The EMN targeting, you know, said it was on you know, right on the other side of the wall. Um, we put a radial probe down, uh, could see an eccentric lesion uh, there. And, and obviously, even though with radial probe, you don't have uh, directionality, right? You don't know what true north is. You definitely do when you see it rubbing against only one wall and not the other walls, right? And so when it's on one wall and not the other walls, um, you know, you can, you you have directionality. So, you know, we already knew it anyway. But again, it was that extra confirmation. And I think, you know, I, I've taken a straw poll of many users. Uh, again, regardless of technology, when when we are confident uh, that we are where we belong in the periphery, the aggressiveness of your biopsies, if you will, is definitely up. Um, you definitely, you know. But when you're not sure or you're not confident, um, I know my my sort of aggressiveness. You know how how hard I'll you know stab or pull with forceps, etc. Um, is 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 not the same, right? So anyway, um, pass the needle out. We're pointed right at the wall where we want to poke through. Um, Everybody has the experience of watching uh, on an ultrasound with a central line, watching the needle not go into the vein, but instead compress the vein. And you know you've had the sort of physical experience of watching a needle or feeling a needle slide down the airway versus engaging a wall or engaging the lesion. So sure enough, pass the needle out. Even though I feel like I'm angled enough, we're going to go right through the wall. We're going to make a diagnosis. Yay, yay, yay. And I watch the needle slide down. And so... Boom, right there, visualization made a big difference. More importantly, though, so we just, we, all we did was articulate another millimeter laterally. Now we engaged. And so then we poked through. And um, on first pass, uh, non-diagnostic, uh, you know, just not good material. But here's, again, the beauty of it. So we know, we know we're in this area. We know we're going after something small. We also know that, uh, you know, 
lesions because they're in the lung, they move too. And that you know, when you're biopsying, that there's always a scenario that your needle is not necessarily poking in, but more kind of pushing uh, the, the lesion. Mm-hmm. Um, so all we did was articulate another millimeter sort of upward, if you will. Um, and given where the lesion was located, it actually was more anterior, but upward on the screen. That one was not diagnostic. So then we articulated ever so slightly more towards the right, which would have been where this lesion was located more lateral, and then boom, diagnostic. But because you could see the three individual holes we made, um, it became clear, you know, that you know when we had non-diagnostic, we didn't biopsy the same spot, right? We made minor, and I mean minor adjustments because we're going after something small, and then boom, we nailed it. Here's where it gets interesting, of course. So we made a tiny little hole. We then passed the radio probe through, and lo and behold. Nice concentric view. So now we passed forceps through and ripped out a whole bunch of tissue. Got and we did um, touch preps bedside. Got tons of tissue and everything that they needed to do for all of their you know studies as far as also the research trial done, taken care of. You know, patient moves on and you know went home half an hour later after the case was over. So I mean that's that right there is you know the the again the additional. Uh, avenue of visualization. And look, you know, there, there is a correlate to this, and I'm going to run an analogy here, and, and um, you know, bear with me. But prior to the, prior to EBIS, how did we biopsy mediastinal lymph nodes? Traditional TBNA, right? Now, bigger things were relatively easy because there's a big old subcranial lesion or whatever. You can just almost throw the needle just about anywhere, right? But if you were going after smaller things, we all had the scenario where you pass the pass the needle. You had non-diagnostics. Okay, so what did you do? Slightly adjusted your scope, slightly adjusted where your needle insertion was, maybe changed the angle of your needle insertion, right? And that, you know, you got diagnostics. Why is this any different? That was easy. That was a scope in the mediastinum. You saw your hole. You saw your angle. You were getting feedback about diagnostics or not. And you made adjustments. You made real-time adjustments to your lack of diagnosis. Well, now we're just doing it on a much smaller scale out in the periphery, but it's that same concept, needling with visualization. Yeah, that's fantastic. So next, let's discuss some complications. So we had reported a 3 to 4% pneumothorax rate with the Orisk robot. But ION provides us with the distance from the near edge of the lesion and the distal edge of the lesion, and then also the distance from the pleura. Yeah. You expect fusion pneumothoraces uh, in the precise trial with ION just based on this information that you get? Um, I, I don't. Um, I, I mean, and, and maybe it will. Maybe it will. Um, that'd be great. Um, you know, uh, you know, if there's a one to two percent pneumothorax rate, that that'll make me happy. But you know, three to four percent. Um, yeah, I guess that's a hundred percent greater. <laughs> but uh, it's still a very low acceptable pneumothorax rate. Also, given out, you know, how much further out we're all going. And of course, what's our other option? To only do a needle biopsy, which is not staging and doesn't guarantee enough tissue and has a higher pneumothorax rate. So, you know, um, I think the pneumothorax rate is acceptable. Um, I do think, um, you know, there's a there's a there's a logic that says kind of having a, a virtual re- representation of where the pleural edge is is important. But the truth is, you you know where your lesion is. You know the distance from your lesion to your pleura. I mean, you've studied the CAT scan. Otherwise, why are you doing the bronch? So, you know, the, the system may or may not be telling me where the pleura is, but I know where it is anyway because I know my relationship of the airway to the lesion to what's around the lesion, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you you 
and you know, obviously, your distance in, your approach to the lesion, so you know already um, how far out you can pass a needle, for example. Um, so um, I... I don't think they're going to show a, pneumo, a lower pneumothorax rate, but they might, and that'll be great. Um, you know, and if nothing else, um, you know, I think you know my, my personal bias is that uh, the great thing about having two robotic bronchoscopy systems out there, and and you know, two very large companies, you know, competing for a growing and large market is we, the end users, and more importantly, our patients, are going to only benefit from the competition that's going to drive technological innovations, right? I mean, there's going to be, someone comes out with a neat idea, well, then, you know, if I was running a company, my, I'd sure as heck make sure that we had our own version of something, you know, being incorporated into the next generation of our software or hardware because it clearly was a good idea, you know, et cetera. Um, you know, and that, that that comes back again, you know, when we keep talking about optics, um, Again, my biased opinion is that even if you show me data that says the outcomes are the same with or without optics, um, you know, we're we're a visual people, and when 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 with us bronchoscopists, and we like looking at our screens and seeing where we're driving and what we're doing. So, just having the optics, there's there's nothing else. There's a, a reassurance to it, I guess. Um, at least again, in my opinion, um, biased as it is. But just to play devil's advocate, um, sure. in one situation where I think optics could harm us is traditionally we've been handling bleeds with the oroscope by taking out the scope and introducing a therapeutic scope. But with the ion, you take your eyes out so you don't know if someone's bleeding distally. So are we doing the right thing there by managing bleeds by withdrawing a scope and introducing a therapeutic scope, thereby breaking a wedge? Yeah, I mean, I, I see that argument. You know, I mean, how do you know if there's bleeding or not? Um, you know, obviously, you can always reinsert the optics. It's not like you take the optics out and you throw them away um, uh, with the ion system. But, you know, that is, you're raising a concern. Now, that being said, um, I'm sure the bleeding complications from the ion that will come out of their study are going to be just as exceedingly low, if not, you know, almost zero uh, as what we've been seeing so far um, with the Monarch. Um, and I think that comes back to we're getting, obviously, um, airway tamponade and, and vessel tamponade, if you will. Um, but, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the devil through the details, and in the end, of course, there's always individual case variation. I mean, you know, everybody who's done peripheral bronchoscopy has had the situation where, um, you know, you had whatever instrumentation, so pre-robotic days, for example, you know, I had one case, so here's your N of one anecdote, you know, where the extended working channel from the superdimension system was going down the correct airway, heading way out, you know, biopsying a lesion successfully, et cetera. And you know, you, you got you see you saw trace amounts of blood coming around the catheter, but you know the catheter was essentially tamponading the airway, right? But because it was it was it turns out to be a relatively significant enough bleed based on the vascularity of the lesion um, and the degree of lung disease, the whole issue of collateral ventilation. Well, that same collateral ventilation also leads to collateral bleeding, and of course, blood started coming out some of the other segments. Um, and so, and pretty significantly, so we were able to see it. Um, so I suppose there's a concern of not being able to see that there's, you know, significant bleeding. Um, and so, you know, pulled that working channel out, you know, took care of it. Patient was fine, obviously, but, but, you know, how often does that actually occur? And this was a unique situation, you know, don't know. Um, I, you know, the, 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 
I, I think there are things about the monarch system that um, uh, I like uh, that um, for you know my my personal use um, that doesn't necessarily um, you know from a, again we'll have to see the data um, you know one versus the other. I do think that if you are somebody who's in a position to acquire a robot for your program um, and you know whichever one you're looking at, I, I don't. I think the stability and the uh, visualization in the in the periphery, even if you have to take that visualization out, is still a, a nice movement forward um, for the field. Now, look. That being said, you know, let's, let's be fair. This all has to be uh, weighed against um, all the other things that are going on in this field. I mean, uh, the, the data that uh, the experience and presentations that so far have been made of the fluoroscopic navigation, you know, upgrade from uh, for the super dimension system are, are quite impressive. And if you continue to see the advances that's going on with Varen, um, there's some. Uh, and, and again, I'm not even talking the percutaneous uh, approach, but 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 the uh, changes that they've been making in their software and hardware are also quite impressive. And if you look at the data, you know, with Archimedes, I mean, you know, there's always another argument to say, why in the world are we trying to like twist and turn and roll our way through all these different uh, uh, airways when we could just, you know, basically go right for the prize, which is the Legion. And, you know, that's just what's currently available. As, as, as Budit, you know, because you've used it at our center, um, the, the lung vision tool from Body Vision, um, mm-hmm. Especially with some of the uh, 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 latest, uh, which I, you haven't seen, and I actually can't talk about uh, um, the, um, and I'm a consultant for them. Um, the the um, changes there, uh, I think, are going to also provide an, a lot of different avenues. And and again, I will come back to. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, which one's better? We got to have t- studies. You know, let's do a study where we randomize a patient to one of eight different systems. Um, personally, personally, I think that's. I mean, with all due respect to the people that want to do that, I, I don't see why that's useful. Um, one, we're all under different budgetary constraints. Um, you know, maybe you work at a center that, no matter how great, even if we pr- have a study that says, you know, Robot X is the greatest thing ever, um, that doesn't necessarily mean your hospital is going to buy it for you. Um, and so there's there's that component of cost um, for all of these things. There's also the fact that we all think differently and and the sense of what visual representations we want, how we think in uh, three dimension or not. Um, And so various systems um, help to the user compensate for that. And and in the end, you, you, the end user, um, you know, if you take each one out for a test drive, if you will, um, there, you know, you'll find a comfort level uh, that may not even be able to be well described, you know, tangibly, but that you prefer, you know, this one over another. Um, same reason why you prefer one car over another, um, even though they both are going to get you from A to B. Um, and I think that's important. And, and then lastly, you know, this, the, the literature on all of this is, is limited by the fact that Though the instrumentation is important, the end user is also important. So there are studies published, obviously, uh, um, doing peripheral bronchoscopy that have yields that are lower than anywhere else that's described. And, and all I will throw out is is that being a good bronchoscopist, maybe being the world's greatest, you know, stentor or rigid bronchoscopist or EBIS doc or the world's greatest you know, laser debulker, blah, 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 it doesn't matter, doesn't automatically make you a good peripheral bronchoscopist. And to say that, you know, one technology is better than another based off of one study, I mean, I'll give you my my personal study. Um, I have the same exact golf clubs as Tiger Woods. 
and my golf game sucks. So I would then draw the conclusion that clearly the problem with my golf game are my clubs, right? Which is stupid, right? It's it's the end user. Yes, I'm, I'm being silly and doing an extrapolation, but the, you know the technology's job. Um, we keep talking about yield. I view that any of these technologies get me to the lesion, give me proof that my tool is within the lesion, and leave it there. I mean, don't even get me started. That one of our other barriers across all of the platforms is that our peripheral biopsy tools are still very limited and are essentially just remakes of the stuff that was built for central airways, where that was easy, right? A big bulky tumor in the middle of the airway, you know, that, that's 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 easy to hit, right? You know, you know, and you tear at and pull chunks out or stab with a needle or whatever. But you know, we need better instrumentation in the periphery, and some people have definitely pursued that. And there's some, there are some, you know, some good things out there that that, and everyone again has their own personal biases of what they like and don't like, which is how it should be. Um, I, you know, I don't understand. There seems to be like a movement towards trying to have a um, uh, single. Um, you know, what's the best system that we would all have? We'd all use the same needle. We'd all use the same forceps. Like, I find that that the, the goal, that if that's a goal of anybody, but why? Like, why would that be our goal? Well, and here's the thing, too. And this, and this is what I, I you, you and I have talked about this, too. You know, the, 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 when, when, when studies get done, someone's like, well, you know, you cherry-pick your cases. Uh, you know, you, you, did, you did, you know, navigation platform X, and you showed, a, you know, you, you got to the lesion, you know, 90% of the time, 85% of the time, whatever. You know, you know, someone says, well, you know, every nodule that came through clinic, did you use the system? Well, no, because there are certain patients that don't need a biopsy. And there are certain situations where you look at the airway relationship to the nodule, to where it's located and other structures, and you talk to your patient because in the end, your job is to advocate for your patient. And maybe it's a better scenario, at least in this one person in front of you, that a transthoracic needle aspirate is the better route to go. And, you know, if you have the Varen system and you want to do it that way, go right ahead. Or if you, from a logistics perspective, it's just easier to send them down to the interventional radiologist that you have a good relationship with, do it that way, whatever, right? In the end, in the end, I don't care how you or anybody I work with or anybody who's listening or anyone in the world, I don't care how you get to the periphery. Just get there, get there successfully, get there safely, and get me an answer, right? You know, and look, if you need a robot and that you have incorporated three other technologies into the robot and, you know, someone's like, wow, well, you, you know, you needed four things to get out there. Well, whether I needed them or not, if you can get out there with a thin scope and your knowledge of the CT scan and you have 100% yield, awesome. Good for you. I mean, like, that's awesome. You know, that that's great for your patients. But this notion that we have to look at this from, like, some ego approach of, ugh, I got out there with just my knowledge of the CT scan. That's awesome. Good. But when we look back at where our field's been and where it's going, um, the innovation has come and the investment into this field has come because there's clearly been a need across the country and across the world for assistive technology so that we can get better. And, you know, so quite frequently there's a whole lot of ego in, in wrapped up in this of, you know, well, I'm the best. I only need this. I can't believe some guy needs a robot in order to make a diagnosis or the, oh, that lesion's big. Why did you even use technology? Because, if you're honest with yourself, do you really have 100% yield on all the three centimeter lesions you've biopsied? Because I guarantee you anyone who says that is lying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
They haven't published it. They haven't published it, <laughs> but <laughs> but they'll say it. So as we come to the end of this discussion, let's uh, briefly pick your brains about the future of robotic bronchoscopy. So first, let's discuss the near future. We have ongoing prospective multi-center trials with both the RS and intuitive robots, and there's a completed retrospective study on 165 patients that we both were a part of that is yep. pending publication. Now, inhuman direct comparisons, as you alluded to, are not going to happen. So do you foresee a head-to-head cadaveric trial with the robots, or do you not see that happen too? Oh, I suppose there could be one. I, 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 you know, you know how the world works. I, I would be shocked if either company wants to uh, uh, pay for a study that has the potential to ever show that the competitor is better, right? And so, um, you might get a scenario where someone somehow owns both robots and uh, does that study. Um, but uh, I think in the end, as I said before. Um, I, I had I had someone call me once and said you know I think I'm I, they were having a kind of mental comparison of they were going to buy they were going to buy a robot and they were trying to decide which and the first thing I said to them simply was first question to ask yourself is do you need the robot the second question is is to understand that both are good it's not like you know it's not like if you're somebody who you know as I'm, and, and like I said I, I'm I'm clearly got a bias towards auras but if someone told me said I bought the ion you're not going to hear me say well boy did you just buy a lemon right and same as if they told me they just bought the new Florinav system or if they bought anything like you know it's you 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 know your needs you know what you have and you also know by the way your own skill set and you also know what kind of time you can devote to bronchoscopy um, and so. Um, Maybe you don't need all of the things that are, are present. Um, and look, this is the first generation of robots. Um, this we're going to keep seeing uh, growth and development in this field. The you know there's a lot of things to weigh into the decision. Um, and I think um, you know people should be honest about what their needs are and what their budgetary issues are, um, and uh, look closely. As far as the future, you know one of these we haven't talked about today, and you know that's been going on now so far, the near future. Several centers have been incorporating use of the robot with cone beam um, uh, technology. And, you know, if you talk to Dr. Pritchett, uh, who's obviously the, the king of cone beam and arguably the godfather of cone beam, at least in the U.S., um, he does, uh, outside of studies, he does all his cone beam cases simply with a uh, hollow catheter um, and doesn't, and has made an argument that, and if, Appropriate use of the augmented fluoro components of the, the system that he uses uh, through Philips. Um, he's got enough ability to get to these lesions with certainty and see tool in lesion, and he's published this as well that he doesn't need any other form of assisted technology. And so that you know he'll make an argument that don't go buy you know systems X Y Z to get yourself time on your cone beam system that your hospital probably already has and you just don't have access to. Um, you know that that's a there's a valid argument there. Um, um, but again, that may or not be applicable to certain users, right? But, um, you know, and, and we need to see over and over because, uh, you know, so Mike in, in North Carolina and, and uh, Chris Bodred in, in Tennessee and now uh, uh, Otis and Fabian at Vanderbilt also in Tennessee have been using cone beam. You know, there's a, uh, and, and the guys at Cleveland Clinic as well and some folks at Mayo, like, you know, we'll see more and more experience with it. But, um, you know, is this something that will be 
forget the, the ability to purchase the technology, the ability to use it and 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 use it well. Will that be something that'll also be able to be translated to everybody? You know, maybe. I mean, that is the that is the potential argument of the sort of like re real time acquisition of the lesion and then this overlay of the augmented fluoro, so that you can see essentially what had been previously been unseeable. You know, that is actually one of the major tenets of the entire lung vision system through body vision without needing cone beam, just using a C arm. So, you know, exciting times, right? I mean, how cool is it? Uh, all the things coming out of this, and this is just us focusing on peripheral bronchoscopy, let alone everything else that's going on in the airways and going on in benign disease, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you, you sort of alluded to my next question. Um, I mean, we all agree that we are a few years away from bronchoscopic ablation for peripheral lung bringing it to the yeah. extreme. Um, but we don't have any idea on tools for real-time confirmation of tool in the center region. Kundalini is probably the best available technology for the purpose. But yeah, arguably, yeah. Based on what you just said, you do see a foreseeable future wherein inbuilt target mapping or augmented techniques may be able to match the accuracy of computer tomography. Maybe. I mean, I, you know, I, you. It's same point I made earlier. If there's a if there's a market for it and an unmet need and the ability to solve it from a technological perspective, then people will put the R&D money into it because they'll see that. So, give you, you know, here's the example. And, 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 you know, and I'm just, I'm not making this up, but I'm, I'm clearly don't have data to back this up. So we've all seen the code meme studies. We've all seen the presentations folks have given. Um, it's impressive. And so let's assume that that's the gold standard, which probably is anyway. So, okay, but, but and, and maybe costs will come down and blah, blah, blah. But let's just say that there's just multiple places where that's not going to happen, that they either don't have a, a cone beam system, or if they do, you know, they're not going to let the lowly bronchoscopist anywhere near it because that's being used by vascular or the cardiology for TAVRs or whatever. And so you say, okay, well, how can I get to the gold standard without having gold? Um, can I make a new gold standard through um, the application of fluoroscopy? Because, look, I mean, cone beam CT is a sweep, but in the end, it's just x-rays, right? And then computerized, you know, algorithm of reproduction of it, of creating then a, a augmented overlay. Um, there's already a system that's doing that. And so um, maybe not yet to where we see with cone beam, but then that raises the question, does it have to be as perfect as what you see on cone beam, you know, visually, or is is pretty darn good good enough, or is good good enough? Does it need to be better? Don't know, but I think that unmet need, because I think maybe we're not going to see cone beam everywhere, but a less expensive system is something we could potentially see everywhere. We'll see, right? Again, that's why it's so darn exciting. That's why there's so much opportunity here. And I think that can only be good for the bronchoscopy community and importantly our patients. Yeah, truly exciting times to be a bronchoscopist. I cannot thank Agreed. you enough, Dr. Hogarth, for your time and the clinical pearls that you shared with us today. Thanks, Udin. I appreciate it, man. With that, we conclude an exciting episode here on the AABIP podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed hosting it. Do also check out our website, theipodcast.com, and please do provide us with feedback and suggestions on what topic and which expert you want to hear next. Until next time, take care.